each week I do some bit of a guided meditation and uh, this, tonight we, it was much more of a guided meditation, less long stretches of silence and, and that was on purpose. Um, I'm hoping that tonight's talk will carry f forward the uh, gist of the meditation which is really what we might call um, an engaged presence a presence that's truly non-controlling truly open-handed and yet absolutely there now in the Buddhist teachings there are some of you might know this, there's a lot of lists <laughs> I mean there really are a lot of lists and several of the major lists have to do with the spiritual qualities or factors that both facilitate spiritual awakening and also are um, an expression of it. And on those lists one of the key elements is called wise effort. And what I have found over the years is that the more we practice and the deeper our practice goes the more the quality of effort becomes this essential place of uh, understanding. And in a way it's quite straightforward that everything we do takes effort, takes energy, and that we need to have energy on the spiritual path. And that energy is essentially neutral, but depending on what it's in service of, it can be in service of suffering or in service of awakening. So what we find a lot in spiritual practice is that we're here and we bring our personality's way of making an effort into spiritual practice. And um, it certainly is part of our Western culture to... I mean, we um, cherish having heroic efforts. We think that's the best thing in the world and it's a great virtue and we are given the message if you want to succeed you have to make a great effort whether it's in writing or reading or your job or parenting or whatever it is I'll, I'll share with you one little aside this is George Carlin who says if at first you don't succeed then skydiving may not be for you <laughs> so that's not totally the message here but the truth is that if we actually start tracking our effort during the day I'm going to mostly talk about our effort in meditation but if we track the way we're trying during the day most of our efforts are in service of getting more comfortable proving ourselves, getting things done so we can feel better about ourselves I remember um, one of my big realizations when I first started doing yoga, I was about 19, was that everything I did I tried hard. But it wasn't one of those flattering realizations. I got this sense of this kind of ego trying very hard, um, straining at things and it coming from a place of, you know, not enough, need to be better. It wasn't a gratifying thing, it was more of a strain from a sense of not okayness. I think we do that a lot. I think we wonder why we get tired, why it's hard sometimes to be in social situations or different settings, why we get tired and there's this kind of straining to compensate. So effort is tricky in spiritual life. 
our, our way of making an effort when we meditate, our way of making an effort when we try to like inhabit the qualities of a spiritual being, um, can actually obstruct the very freedom that we're seeking. Because what happens? We find a path, we find a practice that makes sense, and then we do the same thing we do in other areas. We bring a sense of a self that needs to get somewhere, that, isn't, that maybe is falling short, or maybe wants to really prove his or herself. And we're on our way somewhere again. We're on our way to mastering another practice or to achieving certain states we've been hearing about. We have an idea about a good meditation. And the very nature of having an idea about where we're trying to get to, trying to do it right, trying to master something, trying to get somewhere, takes us away from hereness. Any gaining notion takes us away from hereness. So it's tricky because we need to put energy into the path and yet if there's an energy that's trying to get somewhere or get something, it actually fuels a mistrust of who we are, that we're not already that which we're seeking. So here's uh, Lama Gendon Rinpoche. He says, happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already here in relaxation and letting go. Let me read that again. Happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already here in relaxation and letting go. He goes on, he says, don't strain yourself. There's nothing to do. Only our search for happiness prevents us from seeing it. Don't search any further. All is yours already. Nothing to do, nothing to force, nothing to want, and everything happens by itself. The truth of what we are the peace is already here. When we stop chasing anything, striving after anything, when we bring an engaged presence, it reveals itself. Now, it's easy to take this, nothing to do, and then just kind of sit back and go into a conditioned trance where we're kind of dull and mechanical and playing out our kind of karmic patterns, what's called our samskaras, our neurotic ways of going through life. It's, that's not the actual idea. It's about relaxation and letting go. And it's about having a profound willingness and commitment to presence, both and. So tonight we're just going to, I want to keep on going deeper and deeper into how we take these qualities of really letting go, letting be, and yet absolute kind of willingness to be here, an energetic engagement, how we have them both right here in our practice. Now the Buddha, in guiding his son Rahula, used the metaphor of a lute that many of you might be familiar with in terms of wise effort. He said, you don't want it too tight. In other words, you don't want a lot of striving. 
and you don't want it too loose like laissez-faire, okay, if I'm this way, I'm this way and just kind of go into that thick trance of the dream of, you know, whatever we do mechanically it's neither, it's neither loose nor tight one of a yoga teacher I once practiced with her way of describing it was this she said, okay you strivers out there, relax and you slackers, sit up a little taller you know? and I thought that was really good so let's just take a moment, just this far because these are the elements, these are basic ingredients for engaged presence, for wise effort is this relaxation and yet committed presence energetically committed presence so we'll just practice for a moment and then we'll take it further so arrive in whatever way helps you you might feel your breath you might just scan through the body in a simple way just softening a little in the shoulders the hands the only instructions right now are presence an engaged presence relaxed and wakeful, alert noticing and allowing there's a checking in, it's noticing what's happening am I here, awake? and am I allowing? relaxed with wise effort, there's no doing or controlling just noticing letting be continuing the same intention to notice, allow as you continue to listen and reflect through this talk now what happens when we begin to really inquire so what is the energy or effort going on 
and we keep the simple intention of presence, we actually begin to see more clearly how we get pulled away. We notice our version of unwise effort. And for some of us, unwise effort is, there's a sense of, oh, I need to do something more. I need to control this. This isn't quite right. I need to have a better experience. So there's a tightness. And for others, unwise effort is this kind of distractedness of just kind of following different trains of thoughts and not really engaging with what's right here. We get pulled away. So we're going to look more at our conditioning to get pulled away because when we can see it, that becomes the beginning of engaged presence again. But first I just want to go to what is the very ground of wise effort. What really allows us in a deep way to be here? To share a story that I've always liked, and I found it in a number of different traditions, a similar story, it's kind of archetypal. But I'll just read this one to you. When the bishop's ship stopped at a remote island for a day, he determined to use the time as profitably as possible. He strolled along the seashore and came across three fishermen mending their nets. In Pidgin English, they explained to him that centuries before, they had been Christianized by missionaries. We are Christians, they said, proudly pointing to one another. The bishop was impressed. Did they know the Lord's Prayer? They had never heard of it. The bishop was shocked. What do you say then when you pray? We lift eyes to heaven. We pray, we are three, you are three. Have mercy on us. The bishop was appalled at the primitive, downright heretical nature of their prayer, so he spent the whole day teaching them the Lord's Prayer. The fishermen were poor learners, but they gave it all they had, and before he sailed away the next day, he had the satisfaction of hearing them go through the whole formula without a fault. Months later, the bishop's ship happened to pass by those islands again, and the bishop, as he paced the deck, saying his evening prayers, recalled with pleasure the three men on that distant island who are now able to pray, thanks to his patient efforts. While he was lost in, the thought, in thought, he happened to look up and notice a spot of light in the east. The light kept approaching the ship, and as the bishop gazed in wonder, he saw three figures walking on the water. The captain stopped the boat, and everyone leaned over the rails to see this sight. When they were within speaking distance, the bishop recognized his three friends, the fishermen. Bishop, they explained, exclaimed, we hear your boat go past island and come hurry, hurry, meet you. What, what is it you want? asked the awestricken bishop. Bishop, they say, we are so, so sorry. We forget lovely prayer. We say, our Father in heaven, holy be your name, your kingdom come. Then we forget. Please tell us the prayer again. The bishop felt humbled. He said, go back to your homes, my friends, he said, and each time you pray, say, we are three, you are three, have mercy on us. So I love that story because it really speaks of living spirituality. It speaks of really that this practice and this path has nothing to do with doing it right. There is nothing you have to do right. It all, the entire path, this is the bottom line, it all arises out of a quality of sincerity. It's all about being sincere. Now just take a moment and sense what that means to you. 
You know, what does it mean right this moment, right now, to really be sincere? You know, the word sincere, it means without wax. It came from 18th century Europe, where they, when the plates and chinaware cracked, they'd cover it with wax. And it has to do with not covering over what we are, not pretending, being really connected with a kind of authenticity right this moment, knowing what we care about. In the moments that we're sincere, that purity, that sensing, oh, what I care about, awareness, awakeness, love, that sincerity gets expressed in ways that are healing and helpful. This is really the ground of wise effort. If, when you're sitting down to meditate, you take the time to pay attention in a way that you kind of unravel into sincerity, and I say unravel because usually we have these layers of tightness where we're kind of caught in our story of our busy self who's trying to do something or get something or protect something. And if we just let that kind of settle and dissolve a little, and maybe there's a simple inquiry of what really do I care about? We come home. And it's from that sense of being at home, remembering what matters, that our efforts are wise. So that's the ground of it. But the given is, it's a very powerful conditioning to get caught up in our stories through our day, through our week, through our life. And so that rather than living in that kind of vulnerable, open, sincere place, we contract into our idea of a doing self on our way. And in that contraction, our efforts are usually filtered with, are filled with um, grasping, trying to get something, pushing away things. There is a message that we get, and this is in every spiritual tradition, it's in every religious tradition, it's in our culture, in our own psyche, which is that we should be a certain way. We, we all have these messages, these ideas of how we should be. And this isn't like our fault and it's not a bad thing. Don't add another layer of badness. This is just conditioning that we're constantly filtering our experience in terms of how we think we should be or another should be. We have a demand on every moment. If you're meditating and there's any demand on the moment that your experience should be different, that you should have a different feeling, you shouldn't be thinking, you're not doing the practice right, you have to learn it better, if there's any demand on the moment, that demand divides us. It keeps us from the sincerity. It makes our effort torqued because then we're, our effort is trying to meet a demand, not arrive in presence. Does that make sense? When there's a demand on the moment or on our sense of self, rather than the energy towards presence, our energy is to fix or compensate or make it different. And this is really the heart of the Buddha's teachings. 
So we get caught in trying to make things a certain way. Um, we try to, if we're not trying to be different, we're trying to appear to be different for others. We try, you know, we put a lot of effort into how others will perceive us. I read one place, a guy bumped into a car in a crowded parking lot and so he stopped and he got out and he wrote a note and put it in the windshield and left and then somebody read the note and said, I just dented your car. People are watching me write this note thinking I'm leaving my name and number. I'm not. <laughs> so unwise effort. It comes from, it comes out of a story of a self, a self that's separate, a self that should be a certain way, a self that has to achieve something, prove something, protect something. And I just want to say you can't underestimate how many moments we're monitoring to see how we're doing versus bringing our energy into just opening to what's here. Even in a, in a simple sit when we're meditating, there's some sense that we shouldn't be having these small-minded thoughts or this restlessness or this anxiety. In some way we're not doing it right. And then in a bigger way, we're evaluating our lives. Are we doing our lives right? I'm just thinking of a, a friend that I talked to a couple of days ago who has been in having kind of a chronic illness for about 12 years, but the last two years have been particularly acute and she was describing some of it, but mostly she was describing her, the way she was experiencing herself going through it. And she said, you know, Tara, I'm unimpressed. <laughs> and, and that, we just stopped there. I'm unimpressed. And, and what she was saying is that um, it was hard and she wasn't bearing it gracefully. And we as we both slowed down enough, we sensed the... the um, suffering and sorrow in that, that not only was life difficult, but there was this added layer of, and I'm not coping according to the standard I have for myself, and how much that locked in the suffering. If there's a demand that we be different in any moment, this is not okay, this self is wrong in some way, then we go into unwise effort and it takes two basic styles. And one of the styles of our effort is that we get very um, strained and stressed and um, striving about fixing things. And that's one level of, of effort, the doing self. In other words, fight. We fight harder. The other unwise effort is that we kind of give up, we get depressed, we suppress, repress, push under our life energy. That's unwise effort too. We withhold our life energy. In some way we're disconnecting. I got uh, somebody mailed me this. this. A woman was describing the marriage, her marriage to a very bright man. She, they got divorced some years ago, but she was describing their relationships and she said, this is a Charlie Brown uh, cartoon, but she describes herself, she says she's Charlie Brown in this. So I'll just read it to you to give you a sense. So Lucy and Linus and Charlie Brown are lying on a grassy mound and Lucy points at the sky. She says, if you could use your imagination, you can see a lot of things in cloud formations. What do you think you see, Linus? So Linus says, well, 
those clouds up there look to me like a map of the British Honduras on the Caribbean. And that cloud look there looks a little like the profile of Thomas Aikens, the famous painter and sculptor. And that group of clouds over there gives me the impression of the stoning of Stephen. And I can see the Apostle Paul standing over to one side. <laughs> Lucy goes, uh-huh, that's very good. What do you see in the clouds, Charlie Brown? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so Charlie Brown says, well, I was going to say I saw a ducky and a horsey, but I changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> so we have this idea of who we should be, and instead of arriving in presence and opening to what is, we move into this doing, and either we cover over who we are, are we strive and strain? Are we depress our energies and get depressed? And if you find that you're continuously either anxious or depressed, it's a powerful inquiry. What kind of effort am I making? What am I believing about myself? What demand do I have or expectation do I have about who I should be? Just check that out. So, we're in a moment we'll just explore a little how we begin to really feel our sincerity and cultivate a very powerful kind of energy towards awakening. And that's the way I want to end this talk. Um, but just to say that this is not about non-doing. We're always doing. Right this moment there's a doing going on. Our hearts are beating and the breath is happening and the mind is computing and we have muscles helping us to sit up. There's doing going on. So this is not about not doing. This is about letting go of this doer, of the sense of someone who's trying to get something or avoid something, and bringing a true engaged presence into activity. And if the activity is the doing of meditating, this intent to pay attention, that it be relaxed and yet completely right here awake. It begins by having a flag, this uh, waking up out of unwise effort. And it's usually, as I mentioned, that we find that we're getting exhausted or we're getting depressed or irritated. In other words, reality is not matching what we think it should be. And we're at war with how it is. Okay, so we begin with the flag. In some way we're at war. And then the next question I mentioned is, so how are we at war? What's the demand on the moment? And then we pause. And this is critical, that the only way to wake up out of our habits of unwise effort, this is in the middle of a meditation or in life, is to pause. It's the only way to check in what's happening. So we pause. I'll give you an example. Um, this is an off-the-cushion example that I just in the last week or so entered um, a much more busy period than I had been in a couple of weeks earlier. And so it resurrected a sense of this doing self with all sorts of demands on our life and things that had to get crossed off lists and so on. And I noticed my body, whenever I'm misaligned, I'm not 
coming from this more sincere place of really just being awake in the midst of whatever I'm doing. When there becomes a strong, anxious agenda, my body gets tight. So I started noticing that there's kind of a misalignment when we're not living from sincerity. So whenever I'd start noticing it, I'd ask the question I'm mentioning tonight, which is, what's the demand I have on this moment? And pause and sense that, you know, there was a demand to get somewhere. It's like I could never rest in a moment because there was always this demand that I get somewhere and get something else done. Never able to arrive. That's tiring. So then what would happen is I would again do what we do here on Wednesdays. I'd say, okay, so what is my intent? What really matters? Now as it happens, I just went through with a very dear close person, a cancer scare. It seems that she's okay, but that just shines such the light on, hey, we don't have that long. Live it, be here, love fully, don't be racing towards another finish line. I'll never get the loose ends tied up. They'll never be tied up anyway. Be here. So with that, again, as I described, as I got more sincere, then I could enter into what we call wise effort. And just really keep saying, okay, just do. I have to think about things, I have to act, but stay right here, breathing, feeling this body, feeling this heart. So again, I just want to name again this coming back home to wise effort begins with remembering what matters. You can even this moment, right here at this phase of tonight, just check in, just say, okay, so here I am, listening, feeling, being. What matters to you? What matters for the rest of this evening? What is it that you care about? And I invite you to continue to pay attention because this is really the pathway back to wise effort, to engage presence. Sense what really you intend. Maybe you're feeling very uncomfortable physically. So how do you want to relate to that? Maybe you're feeling restless or anxious. Can you feel the sincerity of some willingness towards presence? That's what opens the door. Willingness towards presence. And then what allows us to arrive is to relax. See what happens when you intentionally re-relax tonight. Just for a moment, re-relax the mind and just listen. Listen to sound. Just let go of thoughts and listen to the actual sounds that are here. Re-relax the body 
Sense where there are tensions. And notice what happens when you bring a very allowing presence to tension. In other words, not resisting the resistance. Can you let go a little in the shoulders? Soften the hands. Relax the heart. Now relaxing actually takes courage because to relax means to start feeling more fully what's here. Just have that intention, that willingness to be awake. So wise effort, disengaged presence, begins with sensing that willingness, that intention, that sincerity to be here. Then we relax and notice what's happening, listening, feeling, not controlling. Relinquish control. For these next moments, notice what it's like, what happens when there's absolutely no controlling. Just noticing and allowing everything to be as it is. Who are you when there's no controlling? When there's just engaged presence? So these are the qualities, relaxed and alert. As you practice on your own, really, this kind of letting go of the controlling and really trying to just sense this engaged presence, I recommend that you uh, let listening be a primary place of awakening the senses. When we listen to sound, There's a quality of openness and receptivity and yet right here, just listening, that really is a gateway to pure presence. There's a a real relationship between listening and how we relate to others also that is profound. It's described in a way, um, the Dharma, really seeing what's true, loving what's here, Dharmic relationships are relationships where there's that kind of engaged presence with our inner life, with each other. 
And I'd like to read you a short quote about listening that I think is really interesting as it relates to these relationships. This is Adya Shanti. He says, We can learn about dharmic relationship by listening to the birds outside, by observing the quality of our listening, the quality of the embrace of sound, the way that we let the sound in and let ourselves be touched by it. By simply doing this we become more conscious. We can learn more about dharmic relationships in this listening than in a hundred books. We have a lot of trying hard in our relationships with each other. There's a certain fear of each other and presenting ourselves and so on. This is a powerful way to cut through. Just practice a little listening. What happens when you're really listening? Not, not necessarily to another person speaking, but just to sound. What you begin to notice is that when there is a um, full listening with your whole body, not just your ears, there's no barrier to the sound. It washes through you. There's a dissolving of separateness. There's just presence. And that same silence that listens to sound can listen to another being and take in who they are, not from a place of separate self-evaluating, but from a place of sensing this one awareness that's who we are. So tonight what we're really exploring is this letting go of controlling, listening in a very engaged way, not trying to figure out so much. I like the way Havis describes it. He says, What is the difference between your experience of existence and that of a saint? The saint knows that the spiritual path is a sublime chess game with God and that the beloved has made such a fantastic move that the saint is now continually tripping over joy and bursting out in laughter and saying, I surrender. Whereas, my dear, I'm afraid you still think you have a thousand serious moves. It's good, isn't it? When we are caught in our self-story, there's an idea of a self that has a thousand serious moves to make. It's grim. Do you notice the grimness of getting through the day? This practice we're talking about of, of wise effort, of engaged presence, steps out of that grimness, steps out of that story, and allows us to touch the joy that's here. It can be in sitting, it can be as we practice through the day, and just if you want to practice this more, you might sense yourself caught in traffic, okay? And notice what's happening. Notice how the doing self coagulates and feels offended. It's like traffic's out there. We're not traffic, that's traffic, you know? <laughs> it's out there. And we, f- and we feel like in some way the frustration of, you know, our will has been opposed. Pause. What does it mean to be in engaged presence then? 
what we find is that there's a lot of anxiety in the body. What happens if we stay? We can rediscover space, rediscover quality of presence, of interest, of awakeness. Now I began uh, tonight talking with the story of the fisherman and I just want to kind of as part of closing say that part of what I loved about that is the innocence the, of this deep commitment, an innocent kind of commitment. That's another flavor of sincerity. Sometimes it's described almost as a spiritual warrior in that the energy is so mobilized towards um, loving and being awake that there's a continual remembering, this is what matters. Now one friend of mine said, you know, engaged presence is actually very easy if you can remember to be present, you know. So it is about remembering. And I want to, as part of closing, say, we are conditioned to forget. We're conditioned to get insincere, in other words, to cover with wax, to protect, to defend. And if we add a judgment, like, I'm not a spiritual person and that's bad, all we're doing is adding more wax and disconnecting further. Forgive. Forgive the humanness, the conditioning that we all have inherited. The power of the path, the magic is you can start right where you are and notice what's happening. Notice the striving. Notice the demand you're placing on the moment. And in that moment of noticing, bring a committed presence. A very gentle but committed presence. This is the spiritual warrior. Here, let me feel what's here. The more you let go of controlling and open to what's here, the more you will discover the truth of who you are. The more what you'll realize is that here is a mystery and it's suffused with love, it's suffused with awareness, it's suffused with spirit. So let's just take a few moments, we'll just close with a very brief sitting, very brief. And the invitation in this sitting is a radical one. It's the essence of wise effort. And it's a simple effort. Just arrive right here without any resistance. Relaxing, open the mind as you listen to the sounds that are right here. Relaxing your body, even just a little letting go in the shoulders, the hands. Let the breath naturally breathe itself. Feel the most sincere place in you, what your intention is for just these moments.
just these moments. And with that willingness to be awake, just notice what's happening. Moment to moment, allowing and allowing. This is how a human being can change, writes Rumi. There's a worm addicted to eating grape leaves. Suddenly he wakes up, call it grace, whatever. Something wakes him and he's no longer a worm. He's the entire vineyard and the orchard too, the fruit, the trunks, a growing wisdom and joy that doesn't need to devour. May we all realize the grace that arises from presence. May we touch the truth of what we are the love and the awareness that's our source. May all beings everywhere touch natural and great peace. May there be peace on earth. May there be peace everywhere. May all beings awaken and be free. Namaste.